Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. We finished the third chapter in our last lesson. So it's 2 Timothy chapter 4. The first part of it, we have Paul's charge to Timothy. You know, if there's ever a place that we need to, as preachers, if we have the duty of giving a charge to young preachers as they come, there's no better place that you could find than 2 Timothy chapter 4, give that charge. And of course, when uh, we have an ordination service and a young preacher is ordained into the ministry, well, usually there's some one of the preachers on the council that gives a charge to the one that's to be ordained. And there's no better place that you could find than right here. But we want to take it verse by verse, give you some things more than just that, but including that. The first thing I want us to notice in verse 1, it says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. But let's stop there and just go back and deal with a few things here before we get in deeply to it. Notice that Paul says, I charge thee therefore. The word therefore means because of all that we've studied and probably in the whole of Second Timothy, but at least the last chapter, the third chapter, where he tells in the last days perilous times will come and he tells of the persecutions that he endured and he tells that uh, the Word of God is to be held before us and that Timothy before had known the whole of Scriptures from infancy and that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and so on. And I'm just glancing over the third chapter. So, therefore means all that has gone before as well. And he says, I charge thee therefore before God. And notice, he does say, I charge thee. And he says, before God, the life of a Christian, everything we do, all of our life and all of our service is before God. Sometimes we forget that. It's not just before men. It's not just with ourselves, but it is before God. I think we need to be reminded of that once in a while in how we're serving the Lord. And if you turn to the Gospel of Luke, I've given you this before, but turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, if you will. Luke chapter 1. And I want to read verses uh, 74 and 75. And uh, the writer here says, "...that He would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies..." might serve Him without fear. Now look at verse 75. In holiness and righteousness, look at this, before Him all the days of our life. So it's before Him. It's before God. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy. There's another verse in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 21. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Just glance back there and you'll see where he says, I charge thee too. 5. In verse 21, I charge thee before God. Even in the book of 1 Timothy, he says, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. And he goes on on and on. We need to be reminded that our life and service, as we've already said, before God. And we're going to give an accountable, not, we're giving account not to man, though we should live as a testimony before men, but we are going to give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ, whom God has chosen and given the place of all judgment. The Bible tells us in John chapter 5 and of the judgment He's given. And one scripture says that He hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Now then, I want you to look at something else. When we think of the charge itself, 
There are many places in the Bible that charges were given. Ezra charged Israel in Nehemiah chapter 8 through 10. You'll find a great charge that Ezra gave to the nation, the people of Israel. He says, as they stood before him, I command you to do this and that. And he gave them a charge. And then we find uh, Moses. I can give you some scriptures here. And we won't have time to deal with too much of it, but just to point out a verse or two in the passage of Scripture. But Moses charged Israel. Deuteronomy 29, verse 10. Well, let's see. Let's just read verse 9 and 10. We could read verse 1 and then 9 and 10. But look verse 9 and 10. It says, Keep, thou, keep therefore the words, therefore, what he's already said, the words of this covenant, and do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. You stand this day, all of you, now look, before the Lord. See how consistent it is in giving the charge that it's all before the Lord, your God. And he says, as he told them to keep the words of this covenant, and he said that if they would do them, they'd prosper in all that they would do. And then again, in uh, the 30th chapter, if you will, of uh, Deuteronomy, notice verse 11. For this commandment which I command thee this day... It is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. And he goes on to tell about it. And then down in verse 16, he says this, Look, in that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments and His statutes and His judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. So he charged them concerning the upcoming possession of the land. So, Moses charged Israel. Now, Moses charged Joshua as well. And we find that he gave that charge to Joshua. Look at chapter 31. Chapter 31, verse 7 and 8. Okay? Verse 7, at least. We'll read this. It says, And Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of a good courage, for thou must go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn unto their fathers to give them, and thou shalt cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, He it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. And so Moses is charging Joshua. So what do we find? Moses charged Israel. Moses charged Joshua. Now then, later on, Joshua charges Israel. Joshua charges Israel. Look in Joshua chapter 23, and we'll just read enough to give you the point. Look at 2, and then we'll drop down to verse 6. It says in verse 2, And Joshua called for all Israel, and for their elders, and their heads, and so on, judges, and their officers, and said unto them. And then down in verse 6, he says, Be ye therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside from it therefrom to the right hand or to the left. So Joshua, in turn, after he had received such charge from Moses, he in turn charges Israel. Now then, Samuel charged Israel. 1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12. And Samuel said unto all Israel, Behold, I have hearkened to your voice in all that ye said unto me, and have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walketh before you. And he goes on, we won't read all the details, but you can see there that Samuel is charging all of Israel. He had all Israel before him. And then I want you to look at another one in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. And what do we find here? David charges Solomon. 
It says, Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying... He gave a charge to uh, Solomon. He says, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou uh, doest, and whithersoever thou turnest thyself. Look at that. When David was about to leave this life, and he said, I go the way of all the earth. And what did he say in verse 2? Be thou strong therefore, and show thyself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord. Did you know godliness and manhood and godliness are joined together? You talk about a lot of men that think they're men, and they think they're men because they're macho, because of their muscle, or their uh, maybe their social prestige, or some some other thing in life that makes them a man, much of a man. And they can look and they say, look what I've done. But so, uh, David told Solomon, show thyself a man and what? Keep the charge of the Lord. Walk as God would have you to walk. Manhood and godliness are joined together. If you see a man, a real man, he's a godly man. And that's what Paul, uh, David was telling Solomon. He says, keep the charge of the Lord. And then, of course, Jesus charged the apostles with to keep love and to be, uh, as far as living for people and caring for people, to love them. And He did in so many ways. But we'll just point out one verse in uh, John 13, verse 34. Look, 34 and 35. He says, A new commandment I give unto you. So this is as much as giving them a word of charge. A new commandment I have given unto you. I give unto you. That's John 13, verse 34. That ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And he says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. He says, If you want to, if you will keep this commandment of loving one another, this is going to be a testimony that men will know that you are my disciples. You know, I cannot understand how some in the religious world claim to be an example of a Christian, and yet so much hate and so much controversy in their lives with other people. And especially, and sometimes the brethren, the dearest of the brethren, because you see things a little bit different. It doesn't mean you have to compromise your convictions, but you can love a brother in spite of maybe he differs from you in what he believes. But you can also show him what you believe. And if you believe the truth and can show him the truth, that would be love you can give him too in that way. But don't be so, uh, you know, Paul tells Timothy to, in fact, you'll see it in this passage of Scripture, when you exhort, when you rebuke. But he says exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine when we get back to 2 Timothy. So let's get back to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And he says, uh, if you'll notice the point I was just making, he says, uh, preach the word, verse 2, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke. But what does he say? With all exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. So even when you reprove someone or re, you rebuke someone, and it could even be a Christian brother, you can do it with long suffering and doctrine in order to teach them. Sometimes we get off on that rebuking business and reproving business without any exhorting with all long suffering and doctrine. So there's a way to do it. There's a way to do it. And that, when you learn that way, 
you will be able to to converse with people that are of a different mindset than yours. And maybe just by uh, the Lord dealing with them, they will see the truth in what you're saying. And that's the only way to do it. If you come across as one that just thinks that, you know, you there's no other way but your way, my way, or no way. It's God's way and not our way, mine or yours. And if we can show God's way in truth, His Word is that which will... In fact, glance back to the second chapter, if you will, verse 25 and 26. It says, In meekness, look, instructing those that oppose themselves, look, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. So the only way to do it is in meekness you instruct those that oppose themselves. So back now in Second Timothy chapter 4, and we're just going to go right on down and deal with it. So, notice again verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God. Now look at this. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom. He's going to judge the quick and the dead, the living and the dead, at His appearing in His kingdom. And that would include His appearing for His own at the rapture and His kingdom when He comes in power and great glory. So there's going to be judgments in the future. And He's going to judge the living and the dead. The believer's sins, when we talk about judgment, the believer's sins were judged substitutionally when Jesus died on the cross for us. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 24, that He bore our sins in His own body on the tree. Let's see if I got that right. 1 Peter 2, verse 24, it says this, "...who His own self bare our sins in His own body on the tree." So our sins were judged when He bore them on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. So, there we find that our sins were judged. Hebrews 9 also tells us. Hebrews 9, verse 25. Let's see if I can find it. Hebrews 9, and verse 25. Well, let's read verse 25 through 28. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. This is Hebrews 9, 25. For then must he have, he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So he judged our sins. He put the, put it away. The word put away means it, to cancel it. It's a cancellation of our sins by the sacrifice of himself. To remove them as far as the east is from the west. So that God says, I will never remember them anymore against you. Through his substitutionary work. On the cross of Calvary. And he says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. In the future, he shall appear without having to deal with that question of sin that he came to put away by the sacrifice of himself. He will not do that when he comes again. Okay? So we find that the believer's sins were judged by his substitutionary death. And by the way, believers shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we gave you three passages of Scripture. I'll repeat them to you. And you be well if you jot them down. This pertains to the judgment seat of Christ. And I've been through this area before. But our works, the believer's works will be judged. And that's 1 Corinthians 
11, chapter 3, verse 11 through 15. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11 through 15. The believer's works shall be judged. And then the believer's fellowship shall be judged. And that's Romans 14, verse 10. And also you might include with that 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 5, as far as fellowship is concerned. And then the whole Christian life shall be judged. And that's 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. What is it? Our works will be judged, our fellowship will be judged, and our whole life as a Christian will be judged. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. Remember the first passage I gave you, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11 through 15, says our works shall be tested, tried with fire, and they will be like gold and silver and precious stones, or they'll be like wood and hay and stubble. If they're like wood and hay and stubble, they'll go up in smoke. If they're like gold and silver and precious stones, we'll receive a reward for those works. That's called in the original, the judgment seat is the Bema, B-E-M-A. And it's like this, a raised platform where the victors come by or the graduates come by and receive their diplomas or their rewards, their crowns. You know, you've been to high school or college graduations where they come up and they come up the steps and they come up on the platform and the uh, one that's giving out the diplomas will give them their degrees, shake their hands, and they'll go their way. They receive their rewards. Let's receive our rewards in heaven for the things done upon this earth. The Bible tells us that no man take your crown. There will be crowns of rejoicing. There will be crowns of of rewards. While I'm on this subject, I'll go ahead and try to (laughs) resurrect my thought in a moment, but let's look at Romans 14, verse 10, where they'll receive. Look at Romans 14, verse 10. Beginning with verse 10, at least. You'll see that our fellowship will be taken into account at the judgment seat of Christ. Pick up with verse 10. It says, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. See that? And then it goes on to say, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, Let every, every knee shall bow unto me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a, a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. If we want to judge something, let's judge our own walk so that we will not be a stumbling block to someone else. So our, that's the believer's fellowship. And we shall all give an account of how we've walked and talked, dealt with our brother. Look in Second Corinthians 5, verse 10 it says, and this is a... The judgment of our whole life as believers. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. It's what we do, how we live. And all of it will be taken into consideration. And that's the believer's judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. What three things? Works, how we deal with one another, brethren, and how we live our life, the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or bad. All these may be close akin to one another. We do not say that they're all a very separated thing, but they all will be considered. And then when we think of him judging, back to in our text, Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. That's when it's going to be taken into consideration. When we consider the fact that there's going to be many judgments, Jesus 
will judge this wicked world after the tribulation. That's in Revelation 19, where John tells us about Him coming in power and great glory in verses 11 through 21. In the book of Revelation, the 19th chapter, where John was telling us about the judgment that will come then, the battle of the Armageddon, verses 11 through 21, will about include most of it. And He's going to judge this wicked world that is coming in power and great glory, Jesus says. And then the wicked dead shall stand before the great white throne judgment. We find that in the 20th chapter of Revelation. Verse 10, Satan's final judgment is verse 10. Then verse 11 through 15, the great white throne judgment where the wicked dead will be judged. And the time that Paul tells us about is at his appearing and his kingdom. His manifestation refers to both places of Christ's coming. It refers both to his manifestation at the rapture, or when he comes for his own in the air, and then his visible coming after the tribulation. So he's going to be known and seen by those dead in Christ that are risen at the rapture and the living believers that are translated and changed and transformed at the rapture. First Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. Paul says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep that you saw not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Prevent means to go before them. The living believers will not go before the resurrected saints. But, he says, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And he goes on to say, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So that's at the rapture. And then also, the time of this judgment will be also his visible coming after the tribulation, another judgment. So both of these things encompass the judging of the judgment that God will do through Jesus Christ. Look in second. Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Let's look at this again. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. So I think that's clear enough. Let's look at verse 2. What does verse 2 tell us? He says, Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. What does Paul charge Timothy to do? To preach the Word. Did you know it's a preacher's business to preach? That's his main and sole business is to preach. There may be other things entailed in pastoring or even in evangelistic work, uh, in missionary work. There are a lot of things that are involved. But the main purpose of a preacher is to preach. Some people say, well, we're supposed to counsel. Well, we counsel through what? Preaching through the Word of God. That's the way we counsel. And it's true that we can make suggestions along the way to other people, but preachers are not called to be counselors in the sense of the Word. They're called to be preachers. And the counseling we give should be from the Word of God, if we give any at all. And so it says, preach the Word. And he goes on to say, be instant, in season, out of season. I wonder what that means. Be instant, in season, out of season. Be consistent and be ready. When the conditions are favorable or when they're unfavorable, we have to keep on. Instant, in season, and out of season. And we're to preach the Word. The Word involves a lot of things. The Bible says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So if we're to 
cause people to have faith or produce faith in others or opening to them the avenue of faith, we have to preach the Word because it comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And the Bible says, The Word is nigh thee, in Romans 10, verse 8, The Word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the Word of faith which we preach. And that other one was Romans 10, verse 17. There are four places. The Word of the Gospel, Colossians 1, 5. The Word of the Cross, 1 Corinthians 1, 18. The Word of Truth, James 1, 18. The Word of Life, Philippians 2, 16. The Word of the Gospel, Colossians 1, 5. Think of that. It says, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. And then this next one we gave you, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18. For the preaching of the cross, actually the preaching of the cross, is the word of the cross. That's what it is in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18. It's the word of the cross. It's to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. James 1 verse 18 says, Of his own will begat he us, Begotten, begat he us with the word of truth. We're begotten through the word. And then that one I gave you in Philippians. It's the word of life. It tells us to hold forth the word of life. So, we find that we're to preach the word. And it says, be instant, in season and out of season. He says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Look at this. Reprove, rebuke. And then he says, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. The word rebuke means charge. That's what Paul was doing to Timothy. By the way, if you want to look at Matthew 12, verse 16, where Jesus did exactly that. And it was a rebuke, but it was it's also translated charge in this verse of Scripture. The word rebuke right here, look at it. Hold your place, 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Reprove, rebuke. This same word rebuke in uh, Matthew 12, verse 16 It says, and charged them. In other words, he rebuked them. And charged them that they should not make him known. So it was in the form of a rebuke that he charged or rebuked the apostles. It's the same word, by the way. Now then, let's think of this. Back in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke. And then he says, exhort. This means to comfort, beseech. In all of these things, in all of these things, with all long suffering and doctrine or teaching, that you may teach them. So there are five things here. Look, preach is the first, be instant is the second, reprove is the third, rebuke is the fourth, and exhort is five. Five things in verse two. Preach, be instant, reprove, rebuke, exhort. If we can do those things, it'll be very helpful in all that we try to do to help others. Look at verse 3. He says, For the time will come. I wonder if it was already in Paul's day. I'm sure it was. Beginning, at least. Because we have instances of reference that he made to the time coming that they would not endure sound doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Look at that. Paul warned of those times. Look in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. He says, Now the Spirit speak expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats, 
which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. That means you can eat what you want without any restrictions. All of it's not good for you, but you can still do it. And uh, it says, in commanding to abstain from meats which God has created to be received for them which believe and know the truth. You know, some people will eat rattlesnake meat, but you can have it. I'm not going to touch it. It may be very good. And they got all kinds of things that people eat. And I'm very particular about my eating. And I think most of you found that out. I'm very particular. I'll tell you what. And as I said, most of you know that. (laughs) But regardless, it it means that you can't judge a person by what may be their diet, what they want to eat. Say, my goodness. That person needs that kind of food or that kind of food. Or they shouldn't. And you know, some are restricted from it. I think I told you one time that I was working with uh, the priest's brother. There was Father Almond over here. Do any of you remember Father Almond over at the Catholic Church? Well, his brother, Harry, worked with me when I was contracting. And uh, we were building, let's see where it's located now. Across from Walmart, they tore the building down across the street there because it was, you remember an old Cortez gas building? Wasn't it Cortez? Well, anyway, we built that little old building. It's a little metal building. It's facing the highway there and right up on the highway. And it went out over the irrigation ditch on the north side there toward the river. And the posts we used out at the end of it were about 20 feet four-by-fours setting up on piers that we poured down in the lower part of it. But anyway, we had to start right on the street and pour, pour the sidewalk. And we had to make a place to start the floor work for that. And we just went out four by eight, four by eight, and left the plywood out. And, and we built our way out like you were building a bridge almost. And we got out there. And when we got out there, the, the posts were... We had to set four befores on... Uh, about 20 foot four befores on piers. And if we hadn't made the piers pretty high, we, I don't know if 20 foot would have reached. But anyway, we built that out there. Well, we were working. There was a grocery store right across the street before they dug that big old hill down. I forget the name of that grocery store. Jane might remember. I'm not sure. But there was a grocery store right across the street there. It was uh, the time of what they call it, Lent. And uh, Harry wasn't supposed to be eating anything, and especially sweets and stuff, because uh, he belonged to the Catholic Church. But anyway, to make a long story short, we had a coffee break morning, and then we had one afternoon. Well, time came for that coffee break, and we usually went over and got us a couple little cupcakes or a fried pie or something and had our coffee, because it was right handy. And we brought our coffee with us and our lunch. And so I sat down to take my coffee break, Harry says, no, says, I'm not going to take one, you know, because he said, I can't eat anything today. A little bit, well, I looked around, and before I'd finished drinking my cup of coffee, he's gone across that store. He came back with a couple of fried pies. <laughs> we sat down and ate the fried pies or whatever it was, and drank our coffee. And he, he said, uh, he's going to do penance for that later. <laughs> but he was hungry like I was. But anyway, commanding to abstain from meats. You, you, you don't have to worry about that. 
Because God knows that all of it, He made it for us to eat. And it can be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. And if we give thanks for it, well, God will bless it to our bodies. And let's be careful what we put in there, of course. But on the other hand, we're free to to eat. We're free to worship. We're free to. We're not in uh, uh, not servants that are bond servants, except on a voluntary basis. Paul says, "I am a bond servant of Jesus Christ." But the Bible says, "If Christ shall make you free, you shall be free indeed." And Paul considered himself a free man, but he was free to serve God. And you and I should be free from every aspect of the law. But we should be willing to present our bodies, as Romans said, uh, Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And he goes on to say, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we're free to serve God. You know I'm not going to get through with this. No way. So, I think we better stop right there. And I'll pick it up. I'll pick it up in the next lesson. Thank you for your patience and your kind attention. And so let's stand together, if you will. And we'll be dismissed in prayer.